Welcome to Stay at Home, Mom, with your illustrious host, Leslie Goodgesell, mother to six beautiful daughters, wife to an amazingly hardworking and supportive husband, homeschooler, and homesteader in the making. Join me on this journey, this blessing of what motherhood looks like. Welcome to this week's episode of Stay at Home Mom, where we begin our series on birthing people. I am going to title this Birthing People Take One. We're going to interview an amazing woman that I met probably about eight years ago through church. Her name is Liz. She's an awesome mom. She has incredible kids, a really cool husband who has some pretty sweet hobbies. And she has a passion for the Lord like very few people have. And she turned that passion into helping others. So I'm going to open the floor, let her kind of give you her history and her testimony and story so that you all can fall in love with her and see what an amazing human she is. Liz, welcome to my podcast. Thank you. I don't don't know that I'm quite worthy of anything that you just said. And uh, and it's funny to hear you describe it like that, because to me, all of this is just my normal life, you know? Oh, I totally get it. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So I am an adoptive parent. Um, My husband and I fostered um, about 12 kids over the years and um, over 10 years, I think it was, and adopted two of our children my adventure, my story started way back in 2002, right after 9-11 happened. I was in the army at the time and we got deployed. And while I was deployed, I ended up not feeling so hot and went to the doctor a few times and they told me there was nothing wrong with me. And uh, by the time they caught it, I had stage 4B ovarian cancer. And so they sent me to uh, Brook Army Medical Center in San Antonio where I had surgery and then I did like six months of chemotherapy and I didn't, thankfully I didn't know in advance um, really much about cancer. Cancer had never touched my life um, through family or friends. And so they didn't tell me in advance that I had cancer. My parents had figured it out, but uh, I had no idea until I woke up from surgery, as crazy as that may sound. Um, Like do whatever you have to do. Yeah, I was like, okay, they can stop hurting because I feel like crap. They never told me before surgery, you know, what the situation was and that they believed I had ovarian cancer because when they did surgery, they took out my ovaries and then they left everything else because they wanted me at 22, you know, to have some say in my future, you know, reproduction and stuff like that. And I really appreciate their, their thoughtfulness on that. At the same time, I knew, I know I wanted to have a family someday. But the whole childbirth thing really grosses me out. Really, like, I know, like, me giving birth, like, there's just words that go along with childbirth that, like, I can't handle and it was never going to happen to me. So um, if they had told me in advance what was going on, I would have said just take it all. I don't need any of it. But I appreciate their consideration on that. So yeah, I don't have ovaries. And so in vitro would have been an option for me and whatnot, but it just never appealed to me. Uh, got through all that. And then um, I met my husband, my husband-to-be. And it's interesting because you don't want to lead a person along for too long without telling them, like, by the way, I can't have kids, right? Because that's right. 
I think, you know, maybe when you're dating, that's a consideration is like, do I want to have a family with this person? And then you don't want them to be like, and by the way, you know, six months in and we're in love, like, I can't do that. So I told him, I, I don't remember telling him, he said he remembers it. We also were friends before we started dating, which apparently like you can become friends with someone before you um, date them. Hey, and uh, hey, so, yeah, no, what a concept. too for like five years. <laughs> What a concept. And so I think just even maybe through being my friend, like he knew that I had cancer or something like that. Cause it was very, it wasn't very long after. Um, it must have only been like a year later that I met him. And so um, so he just knew that about me. And so if there wasn't ever uh, you know, we need to talk situation, um, he just he just knew that I wasn't gonna have kids and that I wanted a family and he wanted a family and we were gonna figure something out. So um, so we I just wanna interject real quick. <laughs> They're so cute. You guys are so cute. We just put up with each other. I think that's really what it comes down to. Oh, you work so well as a team. I think that's really what it comes down to is that you guys were friends and you know how to work as a team. You guys are really good at tag teaming things like, hey, you do this now. I'm going to do this. Awesome. I got that. So you can get that. Yeah. Like you guys are so good at that. We're both kind of delegating to each other, I think. <laughs> so, so we got married in 2006. I got out of the army in the middle of 2008. And having a family while I was in the army was never an option. Like, I did not want to pursue that at all. And so once I got out in a way, then I got a job in like corporate America. That did not work well for my mental health um, going from the army to sitting in a cubicle farm. It just, it was not a good fit for me. I actually developed really bad anxiety and depression um, and panic attacks that I had never experienced in my life and ended up seeing a counselor who was very helpful to me. She was wonderful. After a while, I started to think to myself, well, if she can help me, maybe I can help other people, right? So I applied to grad school, got in. And so in 2010, I went back to school for my master's degree. And how many kids from 2006 to 2010 did you guys foster? None. None. So we didn't start fostering until I was in grad school. Okay. Um, that, see, I started grad school in 2010. We must have started the process to become foster parents around 2009 is what I'm thinking. So we had, you know, decided, oh, we've kind of lived some wild years and such, and uh, maybe it's time to start a family. And we explored, you know, adopting versus fostering. Initially, we thought we were just going to go straight to adopting because that just seemed to make sense. When we spoke with a licensing person, they kind of laid out both options. You know, there's fostering and adopting. And what do you consider fostering? And so we decided, hey, why not, you know? So we got licensed to foster. And then my daughter, who is 13 now, she was born in March of 2010. And she came to live with us in December of that year. So that year was when we really started fostering. And so we started out, fostering is really interesting because it's people, so many people say like, oh, I could never do that. That would be so hard to have a kid and then have them return home and yeah because, it is because the goal of fostering just in case anybody home. doesn't know is it's reunification always is in the, the foster care yeah. yeah it's always the goal is to reunify the children with their parents a lot of people don't understand that about the foster care system they think right, these kids right. are just getting ripped from you but really foster care system has taken place of orphanages where kids right. need to get out of a situation and not necessarily, I mean, these parents are always a lost cause. Sometimes these parents are just hitting like a really rough patch and they yeah. can get themselves out of it. So Absolutely. people who go into this idea of, well, I'm going into foster care so I can save these kids and adopt them. 
you yeah. probably know the, the data to support how many kids in foster care actually are adopted out versus how many are reunified. But it's always about reunification. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the data on that, but um, I know that like it is misleading when you go into it because they need foster parents really badly. Right. And so they're going to tell you what they need you to hear in order to get you to buy into it. Right. And there's even billboards around here that say, be a hero, be a foster parent. And I'm like, what? You are literally like as a foster parent, you represent the system that just ripped this kid away from their family. These kids don't see their parents as bad people. You know, even if their parents make the worst decisions or they're very neglectful, they do not see their parents as bad. I've not I've not run into that. And so you're not the hero. You're a source of trauma. But at the same time, every kid that lived in our house, we loved with our hearts, you know. And so when people say, oh, it's so hard, I could never do that. The funny thing is, as soon as the kid goes home, you see, like, this is what happened every single time. We said to ourselves, oh, that was so hard. We need to take a break. We just we need a break from this. And literally within a couple of days, we get a phone call and we're like, okay, you know, and you have another kid in your house a couple of days later. So for us, um, in 10 years, we had, I think, 12 children. Our daughter, who we were able to adopt, um, we didn't substitute care for her initially. She was placed with another family. And then just logistics and stuff were too much for them. And so she came to live with us, and which was just amazing. And she still has a relationship with her, I call it her original family, her first foster family, her first foster mother was actually a labor and delivery nurse when she was born and actually like helped with her birth and everything and then like oh took her home that's yeah so yeah so they fostered her and then long search her then she came to live with us and so she still has an, a relationship with them which is wonderful because when you look at it from attachment i'm gonna preserve an attachment right like i'm secure as a mom i'm going to preserve that attachment and then we had a teenager who a young teenager maybe 13 years old who came to live with us for a couple weeks pending a permanent placement and she got suspended from school during that time which was i mean god bless her like she was trying to survive and then we had another teenager that came and lived with us for quite a while I haven't talked to her in a little while, but we were able even, I mean, she ended up running away and stuff, but we were able to continue supporting her over the years, which was awesome. And then we had actually a little boy who lived with us for two years. He kind of, him leaving, I'm okay now, but it probably broke my husband just because our love for him was just so real and so deep. And we miss him a lot. One of my favorite things about him is just that like when he came to us, you know, he was probably two. And my daughter was probably a year older than him. I thought that there might be something wrong because he just had a very blank stare and he didn't make any noise. And we were like, is, you know, is this kid okay? And eventually, and it was just that he was horribly traumatized by being, you know, taken away from his family. And he was one of five children, you know, and he was sent to stay with us. He ended up becoming a chatterbox, just the most precious little boy in the world. On his last night with us, um, we had a little going away party for him because there was just so many people who loved him and that night uh, we always pray before we eat so i said okay who wants to pray before we eat and he goes i will and we were just oh my gosh like that was from god telling me like you have given something to him in two years that he would not have gotten and he knows me you know and so he said a sweet little prayer and a sweet little voice and that was just pretty remarkable so that was like just a really validating moment that like we did something right for a minute you know um (laughs) 
just no, one minute, just yeah, only one minute. <laughs> probably get the door to God, like for sure. There are several kids um, throughout the years. Is he like most of the kids after the teenagers those were like three, four years old that we fostered? And then we had never fostered a baby, a newborn. And so one day I was at work and I got a call. They said, hey, we have a newborn at the hospital. Do you want to foster him? And so this is how it worked with fostering and taking placements. I'd get a call from the agency and I'd gather the information. I would then call the daycare, ask them if they had room because we both worked full time. And if the daycare said yes, I would call the agency back and say yes. And then I would call my husband to tell him that there was a kid showing up at our house that night. And so basically, and so with the baby, he was three days old. So I said, yep, daycare could take him, you know, when he was enough weeks old. I think he had to be a minimum of four weeks old. So I didn't have anything for a baby. We had never had an infant and foster care has just such crazy strict rules about everything. And we had nothing. But what we did have was a church group and we were supposed to meet that night. And so I just sent a message to everybody and said, I'm going to the hospital to pick up a newborn and we don't have anything. I drove to the hospital. It was about 20 minutes away. Um, they're like, here's your baby. And I'm like, okay. And so he was so tiny. He was like five pounds and just, oh my goodness, I didn't even know what to say. And so I took him out to my car and I was trying to figure out the infant car carrier too, like how that even works. And um, and a thunderstorm was rolling in. I'm just like, oh my goodness. And so then I had to drive home like on the highway with this brand new, like newborn baby in my car. And I'm like, what am I even doing? I don't know. So by the time I got home um, at the table I'm sitting at right now, there was uh, other foster parents in our church group, coincidentally, and this is uh, one, the same church that we met at, I believe. One of the other families, being a foster family, they had an extra crib, and so they brought it over. The guys were in our bedroom setting it up. They had all the clothes we needed. Um, someone brought formula. Another person brought a box of diapers. Like By the time everybody left that night, we had everything we needed to have a baby. It was like a pop-up shower, you know? I didn't say that was really incredible. Yeah, like I didn't, I said yes with faith, not with any sense of like, not with any common sense. Um, and so what's crazy though with fostering is that, okay, so yes, I could get FMLA, you know, and take time to bond with my child, but that really with my employer would have been career suicide. And you just never know um, especially with foster care too. Like, if is it going to be worth sacrificing my career for a kid? Like, you right. just don't. These are logical things you have to figure out. My husband uh, was a police officer at the time. I worked full time as a therapist, and my friend at the time, she was also a foster parent. Do you want to watch my baby for like four weeks? And she said, okay. So, and she lived right by my work, so it was great. And so what was neat about her is that when I fostered the little boy who came to us and didn't talk or make any noises, I met her because she fostered his brother, who was a year younger. And so neither of us had room to take two kids, but we could each take one. And so we just became friends. And then we just got together all the time. And our kids just played together all the time because then the, at least the brothers could see each other more. Right. And so she became a good friend of mine. And so then when the baby came along, she's the one who took care of him because she was already licensed and she was foster care legal to to do it. So, right. um, so she took care of him for four weeks and then he was able to go to daycare. But um, yeah, we went straight into it with a new born working full-time jobs and not sleeping at night and all the stuff. And he was born with horrible asthma due to in utero smoke exposure. 
he literally he did not sleep through the night until he was six years old and he's eight now oh so i don't even think i realized it was that long i mean i knew he had trouble sleeping at night but i think the last time i realized it was when he was four yeah i had no an idea that it went on for two more years Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So he doesn't really, his asthma is very much resolved now. Um, But medical care is tricky, too, because you have, you can see the need, but then the birth parent has to approve of medical care. And the birth parent would show up having smoked on their way there. And so then he's breathing it in and then giving him different formula than we gave him. And so he'd come home from every parent visit, which was like three times a week, coughing more and have, you know, tummy problems because he had had different formula. So it's really, really tricky, you know, and then you're also like, this is the birth mom. You want to show appropriate respect to her. But at the same time, I got to make sure that he can sleep at night and that we can too, <laughs> you know. How and long I, was the foster process with that mom before her parental rights were terminated and you were able very to? Very sadly, um, she stopped coming to see him when he was four months old. She just ghosted him. Wow. Um, the adoption was finalized before he turned one, which is like record That's speed in Michigan. That's, wow. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but by the time he turned one, um, he was officially our little man. And something really neat about him is that he was born with the same first name as my husband. Which- I always wondered about that. I wonder. Yeah, we didn't you and Nisha change their names. No, we didn't. That was just his name. And so we changed, obviously, the rest of it. Um, but yeah, he can, and I asked my husband, do you want to have a kid with your name? Like, are you cool with this? And he, and he said, he, you know, usually we just joke a lot. We have we have great conversations and stuff. But um, he goes, you know what? Something like, I think most men would like to have a kid named after themselves. And I said, okay, we'll leave it then. So... So he shares a name with my husband, which is a really neat coincidence. So I don't think it's a coincidence. It's a divine intervention. (laughs) I'll go with that. I'll go with that for sure. So there was a period of time where we had three kids, including my daughter. Um, And then I think after him, I think we fostered one more kid that was literally, I'm going to tell you, I, I still count him as my foster kid, but it was less than 12 hours because his behavior was such that I couldn't keep my daughter and the baby safe um no with this kid's behavior it was pretty um severe so we weren't able to you know provide that kid a safe home sadly but um so i think after the baby i want to say aside from that one little man we stopped fostering and i miss it i would go back and do it in a heartbeat if my husband would go for it i would really whatever oh yeah justin's the one that's like nah i think we're done yeah yeah um after the little boy that we had for two years that was that is incredible story so justin knew going into this that you weren't going to be able to have children and he was all for adopting and then you guys decided to foster throughout that process in your marriage how did taking kids in and letting kids go how did that impact your marriage relationship i don't or were you guys always just so united and understanding and like this united front that you handled it together i don't know a good answer to that because um it's funny like okay so if you asked me this is gonna sound unrelated but it's similar hear me out if you asked me if i had seen a specific movie I wouldn't be able to tell you, but my husband would. Right. And so when it comes to like, how was that for us? I don't remember, but he could probably tell you. Um, You know, it was definitely sad, you know, when a child would return home because we'd miss them. And like I said, you know, we'd be sad for a day or two, but we both went right back to work. There was no grieving time. 
Right. We've just both always like, it wasn't like an escape going back to work or anything like that. It's just that maybe that's just the nature of our work too, is that we handle a situation and we move on. So we would be sad for a couple of days, but then we would just hopefully, you know, have another placement and then we just love that kid. You right. know, I don't remember our marriage like suffering or. It's because you guys work so well together. I think that's why, because even if it was tough, you probably leaned on each other and you were like, okay, we just keep going. This is, yep. you both have that personality and that that characteristic right you're like okay this is tough and it sucks but this is life so we just need to keep going forward right right yeah yeah basically she's our daughter is five years older than our son and so we started raising you know her kind of like how we were raised you know which was pretty some pretty basic logic right and it wasn't working at all. And so we decided to send her to a Christian school. She was engaging in like fight or flight behavior, like she would hide under a desk and she wasn't, she was having a difficult time paying attention and stuff. And we just didn't get that trauma was real for her. Like it didn't, we were like, she's just been with us for the most part and she's always been safe. Like, what's the issue? And we didn't understand trauma at all until someone at our school told us, said, hey, do you know about trust-based relational intervention? With TBRI, which is uh, a model for parenting and teaching and connecting, developing connections. And my first initial response was, don't tell me how to parent my kid. And then I was like, well, maybe what we're doing isn't working so well. And we should try what they're talking about. And so um, I ended up going to a conference called Empowered to Connect. This model, TBRI, is owned, like copyright and everything, by Texas Christian University. And it's a really great model that focuses on relationship building and teaching, not, you know, punishing and and doing stuff that furthers, that creates separation, you know, in a relationship. And so um, I ended up actually going down in 2018 to TCU to get trained in the model officially. And now I'm a practitioner in TBRI. And so I teach the model, which is really cool. I actually work with the family treatment court here in my town where parents due to addiction um, have lost custody of their children. And so they're working on regaining custody. And so I teach the trauma-informed model to those parents, which is really neat to give them the tools, you know, that they need when they regain custody of their children, because, you know, they might think, you know, my kid's just going to come home and we're going to go back to like things were before, but their kid is not ready for that, right? Right. And so helping them have the tools you know, is really good. It also holds me accountable in how I parent my children. Um, If I'm going to teach it, I better, you know, be doing it myself. And then also, too, I've been able to take it a step further. And I presented at a conference this year regarding how to incorporate trauma-informed practices using that model within our court system. But And I presented that at a state level, which was really awesome. And so I'm trying to take what I've learned because of fostering and incorporate it and spread the word, if you will, so that other, you know, other children and adults, you know, who have experienced trauma can be treated in a way that is helpful to them, you know, right. instead of hurtful. Well, yeah, if we consider how many adults have trauma in their past that they don't even realize they have that trauma, right? Because the majority of right. us experience trauma in the first 18 months of our life. We don't remember right. what happened right. in those first 18 months of our life. But if once we get that recognition, we can acknowledge it, then we have tools to fix it. But how do you find those tools, right? Yeah. So what you're doing is providing the tools for people. And I think it's incredibly commendable that you're going beyond just your own practice, right? You have oh, a yeah. beautiful practice in the area. You were doing incredible things. The people you were hiring are amazing. You are taking it a step further t- into the system that is already broken. It's not yeah. really helping these kids overcome trauma. They give you like right. what, a pamphlet. They're like, okay, well, they're trauma, right? 
And then right. we're going to take them from this foster home and put them in this one and this. It, it's just it, the whole experience is traumatic. You're putting yourself in a position that you're able to actually give everybody the tools that they need to maybe lessen the amount of trauma. Like, are you going to be able to completely eliminate it? No, but you're going to provide them with the tools and the understanding and the knowledge so that they can offer ways to lessen it or yep. help through it. Right. right. And one last thing, too, that's really neat is that my daughter's foster care worker, she was incredible. And that was a really difficult case, really difficult situation. The The foster care worker was so patient. My words are patient and gra- gracious. And later on, um, about two years ago, I had an email pop up on my computer from that foster care worker. And she had gone to grad school, completed her master's degree and was looking for employment. I saw her email pop up and my first thought was, yep, she's hired. Like just because I knew her work ethic and I knew her compassion and just how amazing she is. And she actually just thought in May this year, it was two years that we've been working together. That is incredible. Incredible. Oh, I love when the Lord aligns things like that. So that carries on that legacy. She started a legacy. She planted seeds that are going to carry on forever. Who knows what your daughter is going to do with that? Exactly. I know. I know. And she's doing incredible things. I love seeing all the updates on your Facebook and what the kids are doing and just ah, so exciting. It is. Oh, Liz, I appreciate your time so much. I love your story. If you have resources, places that people can go to learn more about what you are teaching, what you're sharing with your community and with the state, because I think it shouldn't be just Michigan that gets exposed to this. If there are links that people can go to. What I would recommend is going to TCU that edu and on there they have a kind of a listserv of all the people that are practitioners in the tbri model and okay. you can find someone in your state or you know wherever that's and get their contact information on there perfect thank you so much you are very welcome i don't any you. Oh, i love you so much <laughs> right back ashra Well, thanks to Liz for joining us on this first episode of Birthing People. I am so glad that she joined us. I hope that she encouraged you, empowered you, made you laugh a little because she's so full of light. I appreciate everything that she had to share and her willingness to be open and honest about the foster care system and her experience with adoption. Thanks for joining me. I am so glad that you were here. I appreciate your time. I pray that you have an amazing week, that you love on your family that you embrace all of the things that the Lord has placed in your path, that you build your home with your own two hands. And don't forget to check out our affiliate link with Rejuva Minerals below. You can see me on Instagram, on our stories. You can also find me on Facebook. And if you want to email me because you have some questions or some tips or topics that you want me to talk about, I am open to receiving all of those at stayathomemomgoody@outlook.com. at outlook.com. Have a blessed week.